0: this is unstructured today we're joined by Margot lightman author of long story short the only storytelling guide you'll ever need and the upcoming what's your story a workbook for the storyteller and all of us. And I'm assuming the workbook will help us apply the lessons that are in the original book. How are you doing today, Margo? I'm great. How are you? I'm fantastic. Now, I'm actually almost selling you short by just mentioning these first two elements. And I'm sure we're going to discover more as we go. I know yeah. you are a five time Moth Grand Slam winner. Um, you've done work with a United Citizens Brigade or UCB. You're a comedian. You've been on Conan O'Brien. Um, I first discovered you, oddly enough, by doing research on a previous guest. But what I wanted to talk to you about today uh, was the idea of storytelling and podcasting. And that's something that I feel like I really need to develop more. I'm starting to get smarter about saying to guests, if you have a concept, that's great. But tell me a story on how that concept works versus the actual concept.
1: Yes, I agree about that completely in any regard. How do you tell a story to exemplify a point rather than make your point with facts and numbers is a big thing I say to people. But also, we don't really attach to things, usually unless there's a personal narrative to that. Advertising does that pretty well. So sometimes when a person's just talking about an experience, um, unless they dive into something with the beginning, middle and end, it's hard to really grasp what they're talking about.
0: Is that like Paul Bloom talks about empathy mm. and how it, it's a problem in some ways, but it's useful in others. So let's take yeah. a case of there's uh, hundreds of children starving every day in Africa. Mm hmm that's kind of an abstraction. That's horrible. But if they show a video of a little girl-
1: One one little girl, yes.
0: Then we can lock on to that single story. Is that kind of what you're-
1: Well, it's what's going on right now with women's reproductive rights. There's a lot of statistics going on about abortion in America right now. But then if a person of note that people are familiar with goes public and says, I had an abortion, here's my story, people will attach to that more than they will attach to the facts and numbers behind abortion right now. You know, I mean, it's the same thing that you're talking about. It's just a current event that's going on in, in the media right at the moment as we're recording this. That is a really great example of that. People are attaching very much to celebrities or public figures, personal stories with that more so than the facts.
0: So it makes perfect sense. Yeah, You actually kind of Backed into the storytelling element. You started out as a, a comedian and actress, correct? Yeah. Right?
1: yeah, I went to college for theater. And then I was doing comedy in New York for many, many years. And then there, storytelling wasn't really a big thing at the time. There was the moth in New York City. I mean, the moth has become an international success now. But at the time, that was a not really, it wasn't really a thing. So my options were kind of comedic acting, stand-up. And then I started to really evolved from there, from reading a lot of uh, books where people were telling personal narrative stories was where I started to think, well, maybe I could start to do something like this, but on stage. And then I started doing stories in my stand-up shows <laughs> as my set, just telling one story because there weren't really storytelling shows to do it. In. And that's how I began backing into it. And then eventually I just started with another comedian, Julie Rozzi started my own show. Yeah.
0: So you uh, almost uh, did a one person play type of...
1: Well, I did do a one-person show in my 20s in New York, yes. But what I would do – that's separate from what I'm saying. Yeah, I did do a one-person show that was like a half-hour story. But what I'm talking about is that I would do a stand-up show, and instead of doing a stand-up act, I would just tell one cohesive story with a beginning, middle, and end for like seven minutes as my set instead of telling jokes is what I started doing.
0: Okay. Now, interestingly enough – are more of the stories comedic than otherwise? And I can see a crossover. I don't know if you follow anyone in the still in the comedic world, but like Bert Kreischer, essentially his career is based on a about seven to ten minute story oh. of his time in Russia.
1: I'm not familiar with that particular comedian, unfortunately, so I don't know if I can speak to that. But you're asking what's the crossover between stand up and storytelling?
0: It does seem like there is a bent towards storytelling, like scenarios where they go on and on. Norm MacDonald will definitely do a 12 minute joke.
1: Right. I mean, (laughs) I think that there are differences. Like, people ask me about this a lot because there's a lot of it's a bit of a gray area, Mm -hmm. uh, like between what we would call comedic storytelling and stand up. So it's comparable to autobiographical standup, meaning that Mm. standups that tell stories in their standup about their personal lives and their experiences and their emotions is comparable to storytelling. And someone that does something like that might be like Kathy Griffin. I watched a special of a long time ago where she said it was like she visited a women's prison and she did a half hour set all about that visit to the women's prison. And that that Mm. is comparable. Right. But then if you look at someone like Jerry Seinfeld, he's an observational standup, meaning that he makes observations about things. And that is a joke. It's not really about his personal story or experience, right? So there's observational standup and then there's autobiographical standup and storytelling is similar to autobiographical standup. The difference is in standup, you have to, you are required to get laughs. That is the point of it. So (laughs) if you are doing standup and you don't get a laugh for like 15, 20, 30 seconds, you're bombing, where in storytelling, you have the freedom to get no laughs or get one laugh in six minutes or what have you. So the timing of it is very different. The other thing that's very different is that in storytelling, if you have too many set up punchlines, you're going to come off as insincere and your audience turns on you. That's a big one. I had
0: a question about that, that because actually there's a previous guest, uh, Parker um, Schaffel. He's a CIA analyst now, but he entered Moth and he told one of his stories but mm-hmm. it's not comedic. Yeah. It, and he actually kind of felt very frustrated because the MC was very comedic and he felt like it was a jokey, jokey environment and he was uncomfortable. I was wondering, is there a different venue for a, a more dramatic style of story or is that just maybe his host was,
1: I think that was just the night I go to the moth. My experiences at the Moth is that there are many serious stories on it. And if you listen to the moth podcast, there's tons of serious stories on it. Sometimes you feel like the odd man out if you tell something funny. So I think that was just the night, the one night that this particular person went to it. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. I wanted to check on that because it, like you said, it's a kind of narrow field and
1: yeah.
0: awesome for anyone with a story, whatever the story is to. Yeah. Have.
1: But you don't have to be funny at the mouth Absolutely not. And you don't have to be funny in storytelling. I mean, I teach classes in this and we put on a show at the end of the class and most people will tell a funny story and I'll usually have one to two out of the 10 students that don't. And it really rounds out the show nicely.
0: Is there something to be said too that uh, sometimes in a serious story, there may be funny beats?
1: I think there should be. I think no story should be one level. I don't think a story should be all what we refer to as tragedy porn, you know, just like complete disaster <laughs> the whole way through with not even one moment where you can breathe. That's rough. And then the other flip side that I see a lot is that it's all fluff. It's like a silly slapstick thing with no substance is also not great either. So I think it needs to have both, you know, if you're telling a funny story, you need to have some moments of depth. And if you're telling a very, very serious story, you need to have moments where we can breathe. I like to compare it to when, if you've ever been in any sort of religious sermon at all, and the priest or the rabbi or whomever is up there and they make some sort of really bad, small joke i don't know you know about the coffee or something and everybody mm-hmm. laughs hysterically they're like oh my god it's great it's really not that this joke it, it was great it's that in this environment people just wanted to like release and breathe and have mm-hmm. a moment so it's like a joke like that will always kill in a very serious environment and i feel like the same thing will happen in uh, a story if it's very very heavy
0: i think that's why i enjoyed mash so much
1: yeah i can Is- see that I mean, I think if you actually start looking at a lot of the TV you enjoy, you'll, you'll start to see that technique, you know, it's really dark and then there'll be something really light in there for a brief moment that just lets you breathe, you know,
0: versus a laugh track, just joke after joke, after joke, after joke. And you right.
1: But still even a TV show that is that there is some substance to it, you know, otherwise it wouldn't succeed at all.
0: You've done some writing on these on TV
1: shows. I've done a little TV writing. It's, it's at this point in my life, it's hard. It's a, that's a full-time gig when you're writing on a TV show, just completely full-time. And so when all of my work in storytelling and live-performing teaching, public speaking, and writing books about this has started to take off in a way, I it's not like you can write for TV on the side. It's a full-time gig, you know? So I had to, at this point in my life, focus in on my, my business.
0: Okay, I'm going to spin this to podcasting because, well, <laughs> it's all about me. <laughs> I love it is. that. So you... We're scouting for this American Life.
1: Yeah, yeah. I worked for about a year as a story scout for This American Life to try to develop and curate and bring some stories from I live in California and they're based out of New York. So I worked for a year um, you know, developing some stories out here to bring to them to possibly get on the show. And a, and a couple of them did, which was great.
0: Can you describe one of them in the process? Because I, I think everybody, I mean, there's a lot of people who listen to This American Life in the podcast. Yeah. And I would love to see behind the scenes How it is you pick something. How do you pitch it? How do you, you know, all of that. It would be just fascinating.
1: I think their big thing, and I think it's a wonderful model, is that you, it's a story that you think is about one thing, but then it unfolds and it's actually about something else. And then it unfolds and it's about actually about something bigger than that. And then it unfolds and it's actually about something even huger than that. That's pretty much what they're looking for. So it's not about, it wouldn't be a story about you going to buy a car and then you find out that it's this you know, the, you get an even better car than you thought you were going to get. They're not going to look for a story like that. It's a story about you going to find a car and the salesman seems a little odd. And then you guys start talking to him and you realize that you might be related. And then, you know what I mean? Like it goes in that direction. Like it's a story that starts out about one thing and it's actually about something completely different.
2: Well,
0: great. Can you share one of the stories that you pitched?
1: That went, I mean, I had, there's one called that I worked with that, I forget the name of the episode in defense of ignorance maybe it's a show about ignorance and it was a really funny story about this girl who worked on a she had like a job for a few days where she worked for this hero of hers a a comedian i think it was that she idolized and she got to work for him for a few days Mm -hmm. and then she um She's this really kind of shy, socially awkward person, and she was really like flattered to have the job. And then she talks a bit about working and what a dream it was. And then a few weeks later, she, um, she wrote this email to him to invite him to come see her perform. And she, it was like really hard for her to do that because she was really, um, shy and this was like a big and he was kind of I guess a big star and she felt awkward doing it but she thought I'm just gonna do it you know I worked for him he'll remember me so she spent all of this time writing this email and drafting this perfect email and like saving it and then going back and working on it more and you know it was like hours that she spent to try to craft it perfectly and then she sent it and then she never heard back and she was okay with that because she felt like okay well I'm You know, he's a big star and he doesn't have time for me. But then something happened years later, many years later, where she, um, you know, she's continuing with her stand up and her stand up's going well. And she goes into her sent message box for some reason to look something up. And she sees the box, the, the email that she had sent to her comedic hero in there, except there's like about 30 emails in there. And she realized that every time that she had hit save as she was drafting it, she had hit send. So she sent him this version of this really small email 30 different times. Like, Hey Joe, comma, no. Hey Joe, exclamation point. Like she, she sent, you know, I'm, I'm having a show next Thursday. Mm, No, I'm having a Thursday, June. I'm having a show June. Like every little change that she made, she sent Mm. it to him. And so she sent it like 30 different times and she just does this whole like interpretation of it. And at the end she's like, But I didn't know I did this. She's like, I went for years. I didn't know that I did this. And she said, if I had known I did this, I wouldn't be standing here on the stage telling the story now. Like I would be, you know, like just in a ball, like curled up. But she's like, but because I didn't know that I did this, I was able to like keep. And in the time that she kept pursuing stand up and stuff, things started to go pretty well for her. And it was all because she didn't know that she had done this humiliating thing that would have just destroyed her and made her never get on stage ever again. So the the, the title of the episode was In Defense of Ignorance. I think, or better not to know, maybe we might've changed it to better not to know at the last moment, but it was all about being, you know, how ignorance is really bliss. And, uh, it was a perfect story for that episode. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So that's like one example of it. If, you know, you think it's just about one thing and it turns out to be about the, like this totally shameful thing that could have destroyed this girl. Yeah. It's a really funny story.
0: Awesome. Now, um, what would you recommend we do to kind of filter stories or or what would be a good mindset i I guess that would be the thing what how do you develop a muscle or a mindset to be out there and pick up stories
1: you know pick up stories from the world
0: yeah anywhere because i mean we're we're always trying to look around and i think that even if we're not sharing it necessarily on the podcast just developing stories in our mind can exercise the muscle
1: yeah, I mean the way that I look at telling finding stories in the world is I talk to people a lot, um, and I know that some people hate that, but I, I will talk to I ask people thing, You know, someone's working at my house. I'm interested in you know what it's like to do what they do and what what their family is like. Like I start asking people. I'm very inquisitive about the world, and I see the world in that way that everybody has a story and every single person you come in contact with has a story. But you're not going to get a story out of them if you sit on your iPhone the whole time. You might want to. <laughs> engage with people so that's a big philosophy for me another big philosophy for me is that i feel like if if things if something's getting a little strange and odd to like let it go in that direction instead of running away from that i also think that like diving into craziness and letting things get weird is also a great place to find stories as long as you're not in an unsafe environment
0: i think you said that in your book um, go on that weird date yeah a lot of great advice in there
1: right like for example <laughs> i have a uh, I just had a student who does these like a spiritual type of r- readings, you know, and she said, I'd love to do a trade. If you could look at some of my writing, I'll give you one of these readings. So here's like an opportunity for an unusual experience. So I said, okay, sure. <laughs> and in the reading, she said to me, wow, it seems like. You and your dad—it's not, it's not, it's not your first lifetime with him. I go, yeah, my dad and I get along really well. You know, we're kindred spirits. And she goes, yeah, it seems like in a in a past life that you and your dad were maybe together as husband and wife. And I went, yeah, I could see that. Like, just was completely <laughs> fine with this, and just like makes sense to me. That was my response to it. But I just thought, like, what an unusual way to have spent my day. And it was because I said, yes, you know, this woman offered to do this experience, you know, and I say, let's have this experience. Let's try it, you know? and
0: Is that your improv coming through? Yes, and?
1: <laughs> I just thought it was very, well, that's another principle I have that sometimes it's not what's happening. It's how you respond to what's happening. So yeah. I thought it was really funny that she said that to me. And that my response was, yeah, I could see that and it made sense because I think many people's response would have been, ew, that's disgusting. <laughs> but I was like, yeah, I could see that. <laughs> you know, I just thought it was, it just made me laugh. So it's like, none of that would have happened had I just said no to the experience of even going and doing this unusual reading, you know? So it's things like that. I, I often try and have the experience if I can, and often funny, story worthy moments come from those experiences.
0: That- <laughs> <laughs> and at, at a minimum, you have fun.
1: Yeah. Oh, I did have I had a wonderful time. And she's a lovely, lovely person. Yeah.
0: I, I was actually thinking about that because it, in your book, you said to start with so
1: mm-hmm.
0: as a, a, a way to kind of get things rolling. So, blah blah, blah you know, uh, so I was at the store and mm-hmm. yeah, for some reason, it made me think of um, the old joke about war stories. War stories? Yep. Every war story starts out with, there I was. <laughs> I I like that. Can you go into that a little bit, the whole lead-in or how you...
1: Well, it starts from the fact that I've seen a lot of storytellers start their pieces with these very grandiose, heavy-handed openings that is in no way the way a person speaks. And I Mm. find that very uninviting. I find these very overwritten starts to stories to be very exclusive. You know, something like, in 1982, I stood before a crowd of 14... Fourteen individuals questioning my identity. I took a mm. deep breath, grabbed a sip of sip of whiskey, and went for it. And like that's how they'll start a story. I don't know. How I'm making that up, but it's just like I, I who talks like that. And and then they'll go into a story where they speak very conversationally. So for me, I've always said just cut that beginning part and speak conversationally to invite us in because I feel like a story should be basically. A conversation with friends in which you're having a conversation with friends, and accept it's an audience of them. You know, that's how I try to look at it.
0: That sounds very uh, familiar with um, "Kill Your Darlings," mm-hmm. where if you have some heavy, heavy opening, it doesn't match the tone of the rest of it. So get anything that doesn't match the overall tone.
1: Yeah, I always thought "Kill Your Darlings" meant let go. Of, is that the is there a book called "Kill Your Darlings" or the expression? No, I,
0: the first time I heard of it was Stephen King. Yeah. On writing. And he was very big on it. And the way he explained it was, like you said, it was kind of a grandiose beginning or just these elements that you're just so in love with them. They're right. Oh, okay. what That's really the turn of it. phrase and everything that you've got to kill them because they actually interrupt the flow of the overall piece. Yeah. And I have heard it in journalistic circles too. Like you know that glorious by or you know lead in paragraph, yeah There's a little drop that
1: i i always use it. I use that expression a lot when I'm teaching is that people are very stuck on keeping a certain part of their story into their script because they're married to that and they think it makes change. And I'm like saying, it's not great. Maybe it was written really well, but it is changing the direction of the story or it's adding unnecessary time, etc. And they won't let it go. And that's when I, I'll, I'll use that expression of kill your darlings. But I never thought of it in the terms of the beginning of something. So that's, that's a good way to, know, to now know it's also used
0: for that. Yeah. No, I like that principle. And it kind of makes me wonder if maybe we should, do that out of principle, even though we may put it back in, but just to experiment with works like hmm. well, what if I get rid of this and I do that? Or what if I get rid of that and do this?
1: Oh, I thought you were doing that for life. What <laughs> if not with <recognition. laughs> life experience? <laughs> what if I got rid of this thing in my life? What if I got rid of that thing in my life? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> That's how I'm seeing it.
0: That's actually probably a good experience too. <laughs>
1: I agree. I completely agree.
0: Yeah, but yeah, I was playing to stories, but that's interesting. Mm -hmm. I do know that for me, when I interview, I tend to have a a lot of research. Like you, I read your book, listened to several interviews you were in, and I'll come up with the whole list of questions. And often, I'll throw them all out if I go down a path.
1: Yeah, I can see that completely. I find that. I do that because I give a lot of talks on storytelling and I have or a lot of workshops, you know, travel and go do that. And often a crowd will change the entire direction of what I'm trying to do. Uh, I was one time I had a three hour lesson I was supposed to give for a group of scientists on storytelling. And Hmm. it was such a wonderful group and they just wanted to ask questions and take the conversation in a completely different way. And I had to just at a certain point, as you're saying, kill your darlings, let go of my lesson plans and say, okay, this is what this is what this group wants as the scientists. They're inquisitive. They have a different way of looking at this than perhaps a different group of people might. And I have to let go of everything I've planned for today and do what they want. And it was very successful. And it was a great experience. It was good for me to like, let go of that control.
0: I was going to ask you that because I, I've taught at the U of A extended to you. And I find that when mm-hmm. students take control, I learn more mm-hmm. because I, I don't have that control. So I'm wondering, especially when you're talking about scientists, because they have to have a, a completely different perspective on how they're looking at things. Yeah. It probably made you question some of your own material and thoughts.
1: We both did. I think the scientists really, really, really did. Um it was it was One of the most memorable talks I've given because it went in such a unique direction, whereas a lot of times I'm just kind of talking at a group and they're listening and taking notes and then they say, thank you. And I, they leave. That was one of my most memorable talks.
0: That's a good point. How do you, I am obviously you have lesson plans. You've done this and you probably are giving a very similar presentation Mm
2: -hmm.
0: a couple hundred times a year or however many times. How do you keep it fresh and how do you not bore yourself and get in lockstep with talking points. I
1: mean, that's the thing, right? I I feel like I'm prepping a speech right now, and I feel like, boy, I'm a little sick of myself, you know. But you have to, I have to remember that um, they're not, you know, you know, they're meeting me for the first time and learning about this for the first time and finding joy in that. I don't, I I love what I do. I, I'm a, in a rare and lucky position that I really, really have a great career that I truly love, and I truly. Feel fulfilled by, and I truly find purpose in. So, at the end of the day, if like something feels slightly repetitive, if that's the worst of it, I, it's a, it's not a big deal, you know.
0: But how do you keep yourself from appearing bored? Like I said, it, it can be kind of tricky because you, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, blah blah blah. Um, do you change it up?
1: Every crowd is different, and every group of people ask. I mean, I sometimes get repeatedly asked certain questions, but then I start to say, if we do exercises. I will say, like written exercises where people have to fill in a blank or, or tell a certain type of story. I will say, "Hey, I get this answer blank, blank, blank a lot, or I get this story da, 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 da a lot." So let's avoid those and try to come up with something new. And it just challenges them to say, because um, they don't know that I hear certain types of stories over and over again. So to say to the types of stories that I do hear, they'll go, "Okay, that's not a unique story. I thought it was." Let me challenge myself even further, and it's a challenge for them as well.
0: I like that preemptively.
1: Yeah. So before they even answer or do the exercise, sometimes I'll say, but don't do this or this or this, and then they'll go, okay.
0: Well, that's a perfect segue into your next book. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Can you describe it?
1: Yeah. So What's Your Story? It comes out August 27th from Sasquatch Books, and it's a workbook. So what it is, it's filled with prompts, guided prompts, lists, exercises to get the story out of your head, onto the page, and then out into the world. So long story short, it was really my previous storytelling book was really about how to properly tell a story. But what I found was the journey ended there for a lot of people. People learned how to tell a story, but then they never told it. They have the tools and they're just living with them. So this is a real nudge to actually have you start at the very least writing the stories, if not getting them out on a stage or on, on whatever's, or podcast, et cetera, whatever the stage quote unquote might be for you.
0: So it's almost like uh, learning scales of music. In what way? Here are the beats. And then over time we can then move away from it. So it's not, not rules written in stone, but kind of a template that we can yeah, follow. There are,
1: there are story templates in there. There are, you know, these prompts and lists. There's there are a few lessons, but not much. Um, there's like guides of how to start your own storytelling show and how to, how to produce shows in there and everything like that. So it's really for the budding storyteller or a person that is doing this to really kind of start doing it. I don't know, but you, are you a, do you write in journals? Are you a person that does that? No, I'm terrible. (laughs) Yeah. I bought, I asked my publisher, what's the best selling, um, book at Sasquatch Books where these books are published and she said it was these books by I I'm, I think I'm going to say her name or Moira Seal uh where which are these books called 52 the 52 lists project or 52 lists for happiness and then there's some coming out 52 lists for calm etc mm-hmm. and it's these journals that have a prompt at the top 52 different types of lists so it's like list the people that make mm-hmm. you feel happy and then you write them down so anyway so I bought the book to see you know what is it that makes this the best selling book there. And I have found that a guided journal rather than a blank journal, I will do. And I'm doing the journal. And that and it's great because this workbook that I have, it's not a book of blank pages. There's lessons in there and there's places for you to write in it and such. But for me to actually, as I'm publishing one, to be doing someone else's at the same time and realizing the value of it is really good for me because I can I I find that it's a really enjoyable experience and I'm actually doing the work when it's guided rather than a blank page, which is, I think, harder for a, a lot of people to get started.
0: Have you thought about having fill out a bowl? That's a technical term. Uh, PDFs or anything of that sort that you could put as a companion to the book? You know?
1: Well, the book is meant to be written in, so there's no PDFs that go with it. But this workbook is has all places for you to write in, unlike Long Story Short, which is, was you could write in, but there weren't like actual spaces for it.
0: Okay, and if we want another story, buy another book.
1: What? <laughs> no, there's, there's about, I think there's 10 templates for stories in it uh, amidst other things. There's, it's a, a, on the Amazon page, they actually just put up some images of the inside work. It's done by this amazing illustrator, Joyce Wang, who's actually working to do some artwork for my w- new website launch, et cetera. So she's just, it's, she's just very talented. I'm not the artist behind this. I'm the writer behind it all.
0: Well, that sounds great. Now to wrap things up, what is the one thing we can do? that'll help open our mind to being better communicators and storytellers?
1: I mean, it's easier said than done, but listen. (laughs) Uh, And I need to work on that myself, but I would say that listening to the stories around you and seeing that there are stories everywhere will make you see the world in that way, that there are stories all around the world. But you don't listen, if you don't listen or be inquisitive about the world how are you going to find stories around you you know i mean i just think that i look at the world in a way that there's our stories everywhere in every person i look at something i'll see something like on the sidewalk you know someone's shoe let's say and i'll go oh i wonder how that got there what's the story behind it that's how i see it like something went down or another person walked by and go ew a dirty old shoe and walk away, right? So it's like to start seeing the world in that way, that there are stories everywhere all around us, and then to start diving in and seeing it in that inquisitive, kind of almost childlike way. I've been told many times that I have a view of the world sort of like a kid, where it's that I see magic everywhere. But it's because I'm looking.
0: I love that. Yeah. Now where can people find out more, Marga?
1: MargoLightman.com. That's M-A-R-G-O-T-L-E-I-T man.com and then there are that is my there's a youtube channel filled with stories under my name there is instagram that where i talk about storytelling and uh yeah all under
0: my name wonderful hey thank you so much for coming
1: thank you thank you
0: thanks for listening and if you like what you heard please consider subscribing for free. And I mean for free. It is always free. There's no billing, anything else. You can subscribe in your player of choice, which is probably right in your hands, or you can go to unstructuredpod.com. And there are plenty of links there. Thank you so much. And in the spirit of sharing, here's a couple more shows you may want to check out.
1: Mr. Hayes's office, how may I help you? Andrea, it's Marilyn over at Kennedy Parker Construction. Hello, Marilyn. Would you like me to connect Mr. Parker to the Mr. Fish
0: H? Surrounded by Sharks. A secretary cursed by desire and ambition. Introducing The Diarist by Donna Barrow Green. The Diarist, an addictive psychological thriller, satirical, suspenseful, and full of twists. Available on iTunes or anywhere you get your
2: podcasts. Yes. I'm sorry if I've hurt your feelings. Or if something I've said has led you to believe I think you're incompetent
1: It's just been so long Since you've given me any encouragements Or compliments on my
2: Andrea I do notice you I like that blouse on you Very much You look very pretty Just as you are right now
1: Oh Well, I
2: It's very pretty on you Thank you. What sort of fabric is it? It's silk. It's lovely. You have excellent taste in clothes. I notice. Would you mind removing your cardigan? My sweater? Yes, so I can see the blouse in its entirety. Why? I like it very much. You see, I do notice you. You know that, don't you? I don't have to tell you I notice these things. You know when I like something, don't you?
1: I don't know. I repeated his words in my mind. I notice you. That was it, wasn't it? I wanted someone to notice me. Not Andrea, the daughter, the wife, the secretary. Not even Andrea, the artist or ad girl. I wanted someone, anyone, to see me. More than anything, it was Richard. Please don't think unkind of me, dear reader.
2: podcast fans. I'm Rachel, host of We're All Mad Here, a new podcast about the history of mental health. Do you love history? Do you love creepy stories of abandoned hospitals? How about questionable medical procedures? We're covering it all. Not only will we sneak around in old asylums, we'll talk about the patients that stayed there and what their lives were like. We're covering disorders, cures, and living life with mental illness. So come join us on We're All Mad Here at allmadpod.com because the history of mental illness is insane.